Good evening, good evening. My name is John Stratton. I am the rector at Trinity Episcopal Church right down the street. Uh, Mike could not be here because he is in El Salvador. He picked El Salvador over us, if you believe it. Uh, but he will be back uh, for the next time. So uh, it's great to be with you. This is Theology on Tap. If this is your first time here, uh, we meet monthly, except for in July, right, Shane? Right. Meet monthly. Uh, this is a space where we talk about ethics, politics, community, and, of course, theology. Um, so, again, great for you to be here. Uh, welcome. Tonight we are honored to have Sayer Johnson to speak with us. Uh, Sayer is the executive director and co-founder of Metro Trans Umbrella Group, also known as MTUG. Uh, MTUG's vision is to unite the trans community and promote education and visibility in the St. Louis metro area. Uh, MTUG's mission is by trans, for trans, uh, bringing together the community of trans, genderqueer, uh, androgynous, intersex, and allies in the St. Louis metro area through community, visibility, advocacy, advocacy and education. Um, along with uh, his role as executive director and co-founder, uh, Sayer is also a parent, an activist, an artist, a partner, and a social worker, uh, a movie producer, an author, and something else that I'm not going to say. So you can say that if you want. Uh, so uh, Sayer, welcome. Thank um, you. Thank you. Who can tell me when I have about five minutes left? Who will give me a five minute? Great. Okay. So, thanks for the introduction. So, I, um, I'm Sarah. Uh, I use he, him as my pronouns. I um, proudly identify as a transgender human, as well as a queer AF human. Um, I'm a proud poppy. I'm a biological parent, as well as an adoptive parent to the foster care system. I am an organizer. I am a lover of most things pickled. Um, I'm an agitator, and I'm really happy to be here with y'all. And it's super fitting because, so for me, in my faith journey, because I'm going to bring it down to that for y'all, uh, I just got home from church from five days. So I got to spend five days in the woods with my chosen family, my church family. I'm a, a proud Unitarian Universalist from Alton, um, and my chosen queer family. So. I'm excited to come off the heels of that and sort of share with you some of my journey and then um, a call to action, right? Because that's what all good organizers do, I believe, is we always have, always have an ask in mind. So I was in the woods because I was celebrating my 47th birthday. And so thinking about that, first of all, I'm like, wow, I'm 47. Doesn't seem right. But I am, and I think about my life in these sevens, because so sevens have been really pivotal in my life. Like, when I was seven years old, on the cusp of being eight, I realized that girls couldn't wear, couldn't be topless in the North. I lived in Louisiana, in the Louisiana heat, even though it was hot as hell, I could not be topless, even though my cousins could all be topless. 
because my daddy told me that that was indecent for girls to be topless. And until that moment, I believe I didn't even know I was a girl until I had to pick that side. So, seven, and then we got 17. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I need to talk a lot about 17. Y'all remember 17, or if you're close to 17, but hormones were popping. I was figuring out who I was in the world. I think my gender identity at that time, so you know, 1972, I was at the John Seeley Hospital coming out of my mama in a plume of smoke because both my mother and the nurse and the doctor all enjoyed a cigarette right before I was born. So I came out in a plume of smoke and they're like, that's a girl. And so here I was. And then I think I was like here, I was a tomboy, which is perfectly acceptable when you're about one until about seven to be a tomboy. It's cool. That kid's rough. She's always got a skin knee. She's always dirty. She loves to play with boy things. She's a tomboy. But then around seven, they're like, look, you're going to parochial school now. You got to wear the skirt. So tomboy's going to be a little more limited. You got to put on that skirt. So I did. Then we got the 17. And I think my gender identity went from tomboy to butch, right? And so some folks might say butch could be a sexual orientation as well as a gender identity. For me, it was my gender identity. Assigned female at birth in 1972. Tomboy, butch. 27 years old, my partner and I decide that we're gonna have babies. And the joke is, is that we get to the fertility clinic and she sits in the car and I walk in the door. And I got pregnant with the first, with the second love of my life besides my partner, my Devin, who's now almost 19 years old. And then I got pregnant again with the second big heart in my life, my River, who just turned 17. So that's my 27. Then we got 37. And I had not understood that Transgender also meant female to male, right? I mean, the internet was not as big of a thing for me in my life. I grew up without computers in my life. And so understanding that you could transition from this end of the binary to this end of the binary was foreign to me because I didn't have any possibility models, you know? I knew that there were trans women because I had seen trans women portrayed in media and in books, but I didn't know that trans men existed. We were invisible. And then I read one of my Bibles, because I've read a lot, and that was Leslie, Leslie Feinberg's So Much Blues. And it changed the trajectory of my life. So I'm 37 years old, I've got these two biological babies. My partner Sharon and I had become foster parents. And so we have this little, this little whippet who's in our life. And I say to her, I need to do this. And she's like, I got you, and I love you, and we're gonna do this. So I did it. So that was 10 years ago. So now 47. During those 10 years, a lot has changed. There's lots of possibility models out in the world. I believe that the Metro Trans Umbrella Group is a gigantic possibility model for trans expanded humans, filling up this whole beautiful spectrum of identified female at birth, to identify male at birth, right? 
and then all this beautiful space in between. I say that it's like exhilarating and daunting to be experiencing and working towards your own liberation. It's a lot, you know? And I used to say when the babies were babies, when we'd be sitting around with our lesbian friends, we'd be sitting around a circle, we're sitting around a fire and saying, man, when our kids are big, they're gonna talk about when their parents couldn't get married. Won't that be something? And now they're gonna talk about dismantling gender as an institution. So that's like where I've been, right? As a person. I think, you know, sexual orientation for me is like who you love and who you feel romantic about. And gender is how I see the world and how the world sees me. And I have the benefit of like being on this really awesome journey, right? And I fluctuate, like I am well aware that I take up privileged space now. I went from being a pariah as a fat, dikey, butch woman to like a chubby white guy. I mean, I can go into places like Dressel's downstairs and they're none the wiser of my history. And that is both like intoxicating and the feminist in me is like, I'm gonna choke somebody, <clears throat> right? So it's this beautiful gender journey that I've been on. And then I get the benefit of just living my whole life, right, and having babies. And my, the human that came into our life when I first declared who I am through foster care is still in our life. We fortunately got to adopt this little dude, and he also happens to be transgender. So he's like a second generation trans. And so that's what I'm gonna talk to you tonight about. Because I went to church in the woods with my friends. And I got to thinking, and I got to talking. And so my son, my transgender child, I am so proud of him being trans. Like, little dude, where's your trans flag? Where's your trans, like, all the stuff? I mean, how awesome, right? He's got a daddy who's a possibility model. He spends his evenings and weekends and days with me at headquarters engaging People who are experiencing homelessness or unhousedness, experiencing joy and becoming who they are. He, like, he's getting like this full throttle, trans, expansive experience. And my dude, Christian. And so that's that has nothing to do with me, right? Maybe some trans loving came into his life because we dismantled gender when he was a baby. F that. You do what you need to do. But Christianity has always been really far away from me. Because I was hurt by Christians as a young human. I was hurt by Christians when my little lesbian family came out and my two-year-old daughter, who's now 19, <laughs> we were at Fox with my mother and my father. And we were watching the Christmas Spectacular. And you know, they do the rock heads, and it's all like, people lost Christmas, people lost Christmas, and then, and you see like a spotlight. And then there's Mary, and she's on the donkey, and she's walking down the middle of the fox. And I'm like, oh, because I knew, because I was Catholic, I knew. My daughter didn't know. I say she was two, she was four. I'm in a sea of silver-haired humans. It's somber. Mary is walking to like give birth to the Christ child, and she goes on the stage, and it's like, da, 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 and the angels and the meow. And then it's dead silent. 
and they say something like, the Christ child, the Jesus is born, and my child, in the absolute silence of the Fox Theater, with silver hair all around me, says, who's Jesus? Oh, and it was audible gasps. Like, we have not prepared our child to be a human in this here United States. And certainly not in the good old state of Missouri. Because you got to know that stuff. So then we're like, well, we're, we're lesbians. What are we going to do? So we go to the UCC church. Because they were still speaking. And we got super involved. And then they decided they weren't speaking. Not to us. So we left. And we did the Unitarian thing. And he understood, but by his child, so those were the big two. The young one just has always loved Jesus. So what he does is he gets on his bike and he rides to the church down the street. It's open and affirming, I hope, and he gets his Jesus. So but what this kid wants more than anything on the planet is to go to camp with other kids that love Jesus. And so I've tried, right? Because we took him to Anasong before he knew um, that he was trans, right? Before that came into his life. So he went to Arnasong and he like drank the Kool-Aid. He's like, oh, Arnasong, two years. And then he transitioned. And we're like, hey, Camp Arnasong, this little dude who loves Jesus so much and really loves your camp, really wants to come back. And they're like, no, he can't. It could make the under, other campers uncomfortable. So my buddy can't go to camp. So then we got invited to this day camp at um, Camp Dubois, which is, again, your, your people, right? Christian camp, and he loved it. It was one day a queer kid's camp and taking up that space. He loved it. And so I call him about four months ago, and I'm like, hey, Camp Dubois, my kid really loved his camping experience. He liked to come as a full-time camper the whole summer. What do you think? And they're like, no, we're not ready for that baby. It's not him. At least they were more loving than the Catholics. They're like, it's not him. It's these rural Illinois kids. We just don't know how they can handle it. I'm like, wow. So I'm like, buddy, can't go to camp. Can't go to camp. So then my call to action is, we got this in the mail today. And it was like getting a, a sweepstakes. It's like, Poppy, they do want me. They do want me. They sent me this letter. They want me. It's discounted, too, because he knows they're cheap. They want me. And I said, no, baby. They don't want me. They don't want you. That's, we're just on their propaganda. They don't really want you. Right? And so I heard, though, through your pastor that invited me here tonight, that you do have a week long, which is great. Like, we got a little island, but it's full, so you still can't go. And I challenge y'all, why is it just a week? Why isn't the whole summer camp? invite all the babies that love Jesus and want to have that part in their life, right? So, when I tell people that my son is trans and I tell people that my son is Christian, I worry more about him being Christian than being trans because I don't want his people to not love him like his trans people love him. So that's my theology, right? So that's the space. So that's what I want you to think about when you think about radical hospitality, it's really inviting people in. What does that look like? Because I've got a heartbroken little dude at home that wants nothing more than this experience, and I can't give it to him because he's not welcome. 
He's 11, and he can't understand it. So maybe y'all can help me understand it. on to our discussion. Uh, we've got some three discussion questions that Cheyenne is passing out. We're going to take about 15 minutes to discuss those at our tables, and then we'll do some questions, answer time, say if that's okay with you, yeah, so I'm going to ask you about your work and everything. Yep. Um, the questions are, one, when has someone made space for you? How can Christians make space for trans kids, for trans adults? How does our faith tradition ask us to be part of making space? Second question, what are the names of God or images of God that most resonate with you, that least resonate with you? Do any of the names work or not work for you because of a gendered component? What pronouns do you use for God? Three, what does a Christian community have to learn from our trans members and trans siblings? How can we better? How can we be better allies right here in Missouri? All right. Discuss. So, are we talking about Camp Phoenix? Camp Dubois. Uh, Camp Phoenix is full. I didn't know about it until weekend. Otherwise, I would have done that months ago. But they're full for ten dollars. I already talked to the Who 
like knows this camp oh, because we went to the day camp. There's 11. So this is so this is not. No, but you rent the resorts. Yeah. And so and I can tell you that the director of this camp was open to the discussion, but she was fearful of the other campers being mean to my child. And I'm like, okay, I mean, cool, okay. And my kid knows how to have a It's like all our denomination. But I will tell you that I met this pastor three years ago at the Transpector Conference because he had two men, transgender parishioners. And he was like, all right. And then when my son, no, we didn't have this So then when my son, and they do a lot of this, Illinois 
they have five kids. And they have a trans guy and a cis woman, and they have, they've adopted five kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's totally doable, it's just um, getting into the right adoption agency or the right foster care provider. Right. Enjoy the honeymoon and all that. Where y'all get married. Oh yeah, amazing results for sure. Yeah. And there's only about 12 
Hello there. Can I just grab one of those cups of water? Absolutely, yeah.
God changes over time. God accepts different um, things that, that were, were done to God. And um, I've, heard, I've heard some, some trans uh, and, um, theologians talk about how the Jesus' um, uh, chest scar is reminiscent of the scratch and pop surgery. Uh, and, and, you know, how that's holy, how people, you know, touch the wound of uh, Christ. And I've also, there's also been some mystics, to my understanding, who, who also related the wounds of Christ to being um, human feminine as well. So the idea of, of Christ having, uh, having like, like overt feminine attributes and, and then being something added to the body of Christ. I, I find that to be rather Thank you. Others? Oh, yeah, right. I think it goes without saying that the pronouns that we hear and the characterization that we hear about God is overwhelmingly male. Um, and even, I was saying to my people, like, even in times when, for example, the Episcopal Church thinks about the gender of God or changing things liturgically to make up for that, there's a, there's a hesitation to using, it's just, let's not use pronouns at all. Let's not even give God a gender because if we have to give God a gender, it has to be male can't be gender queer, it can't be female, because that's going to make people uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's very problematic. And I think for many um, many women, the way that, that God is gendered has been incredibly harmful and uh, has made them feel like they're not made in the image of God. And I, I'm sure that's true for, for trans folks as well in different ways. Yeah, and even our, you know, our physical space reinforces male uh, images for God, too. So even if we were to change the prayer book language or the things that we say in worship, um, so much of the imagery is right there. So it's hard to, to really get past that. Or to expand that. <coughs> Other uh, comments on question two? Alright, let's go to three then. What does the Christian community have to learn from our trans members and trans siblings? How could we be better allies right here in Missouri? Yeah, I think we should just be open. Don't judge at all. Just be open. Thing that makes someone uncomfortable. It's easier to objectify an adult 
you know, front of my mind, my mind anyway. So I had no idea that even an LGBT, or rather, I guess, LBQ, <laughs> really, it's not a T, obviously, available. I had no idea that they're discriminating against trans kids. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I think the more of these stories that get shared, that we see the impact um, on our entire community, no matter what's on our kids, that'll help. Thank you. I think what Brent said too, it reminds me of um, the importance of, of the theology behind what we're doing, what we're saying. And it's a, it's a beautiful image, um, what, what Brent is talking about with the, the wounds of Christ and bringing some deep theology into the conversation um, is helpful, I think. And that's a, another gift, I think. Um, that the trans community has to give the church as well. Other reflections? Yeah. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it at the table. We were stuck on the first two questions. <laughs> but I would say that generally, um, I know myself. Like, I think if we're not willing to accept our own fears, and if we repress and suppress those feelings, like, and we do it to our loved ones, we do it to those that nearest to us, it's easier to oppress like, others. Um, so I think a lot of people need to just take critical looks at what is their sexuality, what is their gender, what is their gender example, like examine in their head what is the way they feel, what is the way that they are perceived. Um, we talk a lot about how to dismantle some stuff, and it's like if you just assume that yours is the normal and everyone's is that way, you're not really looking at what you experience. So I think it's important to look at those things and to evaluate it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, something that I try to keep in mind is how, um, how often religion is weaponized um, for, uh, for evil acts. Um, and I think, like, as, as, like, Christians trying to push forward for, like, a better world, we need to be very cognizant that there are people who their entire um, existence within interacting with Christianity has been one where they're just, you know, told to hate themselves. Um, and so we need to be very cognizant of that fact and welcoming people into our community and why they might be hesitant to do so. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. Very wise. Yeah. And I think there's also a deep call to repentance here, too, that it's not just, uh, that's not it, all of it, but I think there's, there's a deep call to, to recognize has weaponized itself against uh, trans and other like LGBT individuals and really owning that and saying that that was our bad, that was our like that was our sin, and that we were sinning against our neighbors, we were sinning against God, and we're going to move forward and we're going to take action to be better and to, to, to make repentance, but we have really have to recognize the wrongs that we've done. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, I'm going to open it up now just for questions uh, for Sayer, anything that um, you've heard him say or wanted more information about. Yes, so I'm personally not on Instagram, but MTUG is. I do a lot of Facebook advocacy. I would say that Facebook has helped me personally build power for transgender 
and gender expansive adults in the metro area, hands down. Like, if I give a shout out on Facebook for a need, it generally gets met pretty quickly. Um, a couple of, another a side project that I run is called the Trans Queer Flat. It's not affiliated with MTUG specifically, but it's, um, we were experiencing unhoused people in such a rapid place, so I, I had the credit, <laughs> not the money, the credit to buy a two-family flat in Dutchtown, and I only house transgender people, and I prioritize transgender uh, women of color to live in my house, and I just charge exactly what it, what it takes to like run the house which is generally about 200 bucks a person. And it's, it's furnished and so anyway, so Facebook is my huge, like, um, my platform, I guess. And it's a blessing and a curse that Facebook. What was your Facebook again, I guess? Sayer Johnson, S-A, yep. Yeah, so here's my elevator speech. So when I was 16 years old, I came out as a lesbian to my mother. And I was living in Baldwin, Missouri at the time. I'm like, Mom, I'm a lesbian. She's like, oh my God. Though she's from Texas, in my brain she's from New York. She's like, oh my God, you're going to die of the AIDS. This was like 1987. And I'm like, Mom, technically I'm a really low risk category. But she didn't even hear that. So I'm like, Mom, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right. And she's like, all right. She cried for like a day. And she's like, you need to meet your people. So she literally put me in the car and drove, it just happened to be Pride Month. She drove me down right here to the West End. And she's like, let's watch this. These are your people. And I watched a parade of, of lesbian and gay people march by me. Some with paper bags over their faces, and then the dykes on bikes, like, taking up that space, and I'm like, that's my people. And then she took me over to Forest Park, and she's like, now go meet your people. And they were very old, like a lot of old lesbians. But at least I knew I could be an old lesbian at 16, where there were no possibility models. And so then I fast forward, so I'm 37, and I'm like, Mom, I'm transgender. And she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know any of those transgenders. Okay. You're going to have to make your own thing. And so I did, right? Like about four years into my transition, I was lonesome and I wanted community. And so uh, one of our matriarchs died and we, she wanted to be buried a certain kind of way. And I begged every A gay that I knew for money and I didn't raise enough money. And she didn't get buried the way she wanted to get buried. And then we went to Pride that year, and we came up with our trans flags, and the LGBT Center of St. Louis six years ago was like, wow, what's that flag? And I'm like, well, this is a trans flag. And they're like, wow, I would have never guessed you're really a woman. I'm like, wow, St. Louis. <laughs> so the anger made him tug. And so now we lit this beacon, and we serve about 150 adults a month in our supporters. So, and so we provide social emotional support for trans expansive adults and this as long as you are not cis you are welcome under our umbrella um, and cis folks are welcome to work under our umbrella um, and then we so we build power for transgender people trans expansive people and we provide social emotional support and a year and a half ago we were gifted a house in Benton Park West this family like gave us a house 
They're like, we have so much money, we're going to give you a house. And it changed the trajectory of the organization. It made our five-year strategic plan happen immediately. And now, so we do the so social-emotional support for trans expansive people who want to achieve that self-actualization. And then we are providing so much support for our unhoused siblings and our housing and secure siblings and our struggling siblings that it's just changed the game. So, yeah, that's what we do, right? And with this house, um, our budget is not nearly enough, but we're, we're doing a whole lot. We have a, we have a free food pantry. We have a free toiletry pantry. We have free laundry services. We have uh, lockers in the backyard. If you're unhoused, you can keep your stuff safe while you're walking around and trying to get a job or living in the park or whatever you need to do. We've got tents and sleeping bags for our unhoused siblings. We have a free clothing closet, which is fabulous. And we have a free store. So when you're a baby queer and you get your first place and your folks are like, meh, you come to us and we will hook you up with fabulous things. We do bus passes, we do phones, um, we provide name change documentation. We do a whole lot on $106,000 a year. That's what we do. And this is the first year that we're 106,000. Last year's budget was 42. <laughs> right. And this is most of our budget. We get. Um, we finally got a big grant for $30,000, but most of our budget is built on the backs of our drag siblings and sweaty $1 bills. And you know, folks that just like want to give us some help. So it's, it's hard, right? Because when I when we became who we are, we had Growing American Youth for young people. We had the Missouri GSA, which was flourishing at that time for young people. We had Transparent, which was flourishing for young people. And when you turned 18 or uh, the, the spot through WashU, but as soon as you turned 18 or 22, you fell off a cliff. So we we streamlined our services to 18. And I know that that can be troubling for folks. But as soon as humans are real close to 18, we take them into the fold. So I encourage people who are under 18 to tap into those other services. And then we got you till you're 110. You got a question? Yeah, um, we're talking kind of about how we can, as you know, a community and a church community, support trans folks. And I want to ask you that. Yeah, right? Like tangible, like make sure you're bathrooms are accessible to all humans. Ain't no reason to have a gender bathroom. If you got a toilet, all humans can use it. I know that's simple, and that is a welcoming gesture. Maybe have trans humans in your congregation or really badass trans allies. Have some kind of flag on your little name tag that says, come to me because I got you. I'm not going to mess up your pronoun. I'm going to make sure that you're feeling all loved on. Um, having theology reflected in your sermons and in your dogma that re engages us. Uh, you have to be intentional. You have to maybe have MTUG propaganda out on your welcome table, right? Have MTUG come in and train your congregation on how to be culturally competent with, with your humans. Um, you know, have trans expansive people in leadership. I did not know I was a leader until my Unitarian church said, Sarah Johnson, dude, you're a leader. And they paid for me to go to leadership school, and that changed the trajectory of my life. 
I did not know that until they, shook, they held up that mirror to me. And so that's like an opportunity. And it's simple as like your basic facility structure, but also just like being really intentional and making sure that there are things in your church or in your congregations that say, hey, we love you, really though, we do. And we might mess up, and we want to really like be intentional about loving on God. Have it part of your strategic plan, or I don't know what churches do strategic plans. Allegedly. <laughs> I mean, have it be like, what do you reject? We reject racism. We reject transphobia. We reject homophobia. Like, be clear about what you love and you do, but be really clear about what you reject. Right? Put yourself in a vulnerable position first. Say, I'm Sarah, and it's not preferred. I, I love it that people say preferred, like in 2016, 2017, maybe. We are 2019, y'all. It's not preferred. I'm not a preferred EM. I mean, EM, right? Like, I don't prefer EM. Say I'm going to prefer to be male or masculine. I'm a EM. So, just say, I'm Sarah. I use he, him as my pronouns. What's your name? And I know a lot of congregations have name tags, and I'm sure that you don't check people's ID to put their name on their name tag, right? So you're seeing their name tag, putting pronouns on name tags. My biggest suggestion in making people comfortable is, especially if somebody's walking at you and you're like, wow, I want to be loving to this person and I'm just not sure. And that's okay. Because like non-binary folks, these people in this middle place, are taking up like 60% of our movement right now. Like, hell yeah, to non-binary, gender-fluid, gender-queer people. Let's make space and not assume anybody's gender when they're coming up to you. Put yourself vulnerable and say, I'm Sarah, he, him, what's your name, and what pronoun do you use? Clear. I'm going to speak on behalf of transgender and gender-expansive humans and say we would prefer you to do that rather than F up our pronoun. Okay? And... You're making yourself vulnerable first, right? You're not like saying, what's your pronoun? <laughs> you're saying, this is me. I'd like to get to know you and love on you right where you're at. Tell me so I can do that for you. All right, well, thank you again, Sarah. Appreciate you coming in. Thanks to our, uh, our bartender. Please, uh, Geon Tap in July, and I believe there will be one in August, though. Um, if you put your, your name and information there, you will uh, get that information. So, alright, see you guys later. You don't have to leave, but